That's a hard act to follow right there. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 24 and verse 36. Luke 24 and verse 36. Let's stand and kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. And uh, um, we'll read this scripture. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up their, his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up to heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. You can be seated. A number of years ago, um, we were out here in the parking lot. We were doing a church event, and uh, two students from UT came and began to interview me, uh, kind of an informal interview. And uh, one of them said, you know what? I don't rely on faith for anything. I'm a person of science. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, all of us rely on faith every day that we live. If you drive an automobile, uh, you rely on the mechanics who put that car together. Uh, you rely upon the, the safety designers uh, who, who put those things together. And uh, if you're riding in a car, you're relying on the person driving, right? Uh, and so we all, every day that we live, we exercise faith. And so... Uh, and I, I remember picking up a, a sheet of paper that uh, the school sent home with my kids years ago. And it said, faith is putting your trust in something with no evidence, but science is based on fact. I know that's not true. First of all, science, scientists are wrong a lot of the time. Just ask them. They disagree with each other. Okay, somebody's wrong. Also, faith... Good, well-founded faith is based on evidence. Now, you can put your uh, trust in something for which there is no evidence, but solid faith is based on evidence. And God has given us a mountain of evidence for Christianity. Um, and so, uh, if, if you're a skeptic today, can I first of all say, I'm glad you're here, okay? Uh, we, we welcome you to this place. 
Uh, you need to hear uh, some of these things that Jesus is going to tell these folks here today. Uh, but also, if you're a Christian, you need to be here and hear this because you need to understand how Jesus approached skeptics and understand how you can have an influence in the people that you know, the, the maybe loved ones that you know who are skeptics, so you can reach them for Jesus Christ. So Jesus appears. Now, he's appeared before. He appeared to the men on the, the road to Emmaus and uh, revealed himself to them. He's appeared to Peter. Uh, but uh, he's going to appear this first time in Luke's gospel uh, to the eleven and those who are gathered with them there. And so he, he appears, and, and the first thought that came into their mind wasn't, okay, this is the resurrected Jesus Christ. The first thought they had was, this is a ghost. And they were scared to death. They, they, it, they were slow to believe. They were reluctant to believe that it was really Jesus standing before them. Because guess what? Back then, when people died, they stayed dead too. Okay. It wasn't that there's something different today than there was then. They had the same struggles that people today have. And so Jesus asked, you know, why are doubts arising in your heart? He says, see, look, at, see, it's me. Touch me. Ghost doesn't have flesh and blood, flesh and bones like I have. Um, then he, he eats with them. By the way, he'd also done that with the men on the road to Emmaus. After they got to their home... Uh, he had a meal with them. He broke bread with them. He ate. And guess what? Ghosts don't eat. So he gave them evidence. And he's, he's very patient with them. He's, he's allowing this to kind of sink in. He's allowing them to get a hold of this evidence. He doesn't criticize them or, or chide them for uh, being slow to believe. He is, he is reaching out to them and he is providing the evidence needed so that they can place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, it's, a, it's a great picture of our Lord Jesus. And uh, as he shows them who he is, then he blesses them. He ascends to heaven. And we know one day he's coming again. And so um, we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ and definitely to consider the evidence that he has given us and the evidence that there is uh, in so many, from so many sources here today. So uh, the title of my message is Moving from Skepticism to Faith. Moving from Skepticism to Faith. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing is, to move from skepticism to faith, you need to doubt your doubts. Did you know that you can doubt something and it can still be true? Um, they doubted Jesus, right? I mean, they saw him. They thought he was a ghost. They doubted that it was him. Jesus said, why do doubts arise in your heart? That's a good question. Why do doubts arise in our hearts? Sometimes I think doubts arise in our hearts because we want them to arise. We don't want to embrace the truth. Sometimes, have you ever... Have you ever talked with somebody, you're trying to convince them, and every time you try to convince them, they come up with something else that they want to object to? And then you realize, hey, this person just really is not open to discussion about this issue. Uh, sometimes people are like that about Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. 
And that's why doubts arise in their heart. It's an excuse to keep them from embracing the truth. But some are honest doubters who are open to the truth. And in that case, why do doubts arise in your heart? Well, you can doubt your doubts. Jesus is saying, look at the evidence and doubt your doubts that what I'm telling you is true. Um, did you know the human heart can, can go up and down, right? Have you ever had those days? Some days we're strong in faith. Other days we're low in faith, right? And it seems like sometimes it's an up and down type of thing. Um, some days you feel one way, right? Or then you another day, you have a bad hair day, right? Everything goes wrong, and you're just kind of out of sorts. Human beings are notoriously changing from day to day in how we feel and what we think. Sometimes we can doubt something, and that something can be true. Um, I, I remember when David and Alyssa announced the birth of my two grandsons, they told, they told us, that uh, Alyssa was pregnant, they had told us that they weren't going to have kids for a while. And so I opened the card, and, and I was looking at the card that they had given us, uh, and I was, what? And I didn't believe it right away. I, I th I, that can't be what they're saying, because they've told me that they're not going to do that. And they're looking at me, and all of a sudden it dawns on me that maybe what they're saying is true. And I said, are you pregnant, Alyssa? And she said, yes. And so then we got all excited. But you see, I was slow to believe. I, I needed some extra evidence to help me. And when she, she told me, yes, yes, I'm pregnant. Yeah, then I was there. So I, I struggled at the, at the outset. Uh, now, uh, there have been times I have been wrong about people. I'm sure you have been too. Have you ever looked at a stereotype and you thought, and maybe not one of the common stereotypes you think of, but perhaps maybe you've known somebody who looked a certain way and they acted a certain way. And so you see somebody else that looks like that person and you think that person will act the same way. And then you find you're wrong, right? I mean, we do those kinds of things all the time. There are times that we're wrong. So you've got to doubt your doubts. If you're going to be honest about whether you're going to be a skeptic about the things of God, you need to be willing to doubt your doubts and be open to the truth. Um, so, um, Jesus says, why do doubts arise in your heart? So, that's the first thing. So, if you, if you want to move from skepticism to faith, you've got to be willing to doubt your doubts. Secondly, you need to examine the evidence. You need to examine the evidence. Verse 39, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. <laughs> You've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. Um, well, Jesus doesn't just say seeing. You know, there have been skeptics throughout, uh, throughout history who have questioned different things. I had one uh, professor that was talking about different objections to Jesus, uh, and he called the one that they're having right here Jedi Jesus, you know, where Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up to uh, Luke Skywalker, and he just appears to be there, but he's not really there. Um, and um, 
that's what they're thinking here. But Jesus says, hey, look and see, touch me. You see, the disciples, they saw Jesus. And First John, uh, John says, he who, whom we have seen, whom our hands have touched. And, and, and we know he is risen. We've seen the evidence. We have experienced this. And it wasn't like an Elvis sighting. Sometimes I hear that uh, Jesus resurrection sighting compared to Elvis sighting. An Elvis sighting where you get this grainy picture from a long distance. Well, Elvis is still alive. The king is still with us. You know, uh, th- This was completely different. Jesus was up close and personal with people who knew him. Jesus was having discussions. Uh, they observed his personality. They saw how he interacted with other people. And they knew who he was. And Jesus even says, look at my scars. I thought that was just fascinating. If I was Jesus, I probably would have uh, just healed myself when I rose from the dead, right? Take away all those scars and, you know, let's have everything be perfect. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus left the nail scars in his hands and feet because there were some among the people. I believe there's another reason as well, which is uh, we'll have to talk about some other time. But one of the reasons is some had seen those nails go into Jesus' hands and feet. And they were there. And, and Jesus says, hey, look at this. Do you recognize this? You ever watch a detective show and they look at a tattoo or they look at a wound or a scar and they identify someone based upon that? Jesus is saying, here, look at this. It's me. It's me. He's giving them evidence. Uh, you say, well, that's fine and good, but I've never seen Jesus, and I can't touch Jesus, so what about that preacher? Well, can I tell you something? God has left you eyewitness testimony. I've, I've recently been uh, reading a book called Person of Interest. I'd recommend it to you. It's a very interesting book. And the premise of the book is basically, if we had no Bible... You could still prove from history that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did. It's written by a cold case detective who was in charge of the Los Angeles Police Department cold cases. And uh, he uses those same investigative techniques. And he, he, the thought in his mind, he was an atheist, and the thought in his mind was, If Jesus really is who he says he is, then there should be his mark across all of history. And so he researches both before Jesus' coming and after Jesus' coming and finds that indeed the mark of Jesus Christ is all throughout history. It's in music. It's in art. It's it's in science. Did you know that Every founder of every major scientific discipline was a Christian. Did you know that? It's the truth. Um, and, And he looks through all of these different areas of life, philosophy, and all of these things. And the mark of Jesus Christ is across it all. Even if you had no Bible, there's still evidence that Jesus is 
who he says he is. But we do have the Bible. And guess what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all eyewitnesses to the truth of what happened in Jesus' life. Not only are they eyewitnesses, but you have uh, Paul uh, recording. He says, hey, this is what we've received uh, and Luke said the same thing because Luke was compiling from eyewitnesses. He was compiling information from eyewitnesses. And he, he tells, oh, most ex- excellent Theophilus, this is what I've heard from the eyewitnesses. And he gives the account, the account in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, many believe was an early song that was sung in the church dating from a month or two after Jesus ascended to heaven. And you have the exact gospel story. Listen, I want to tell you something. Constantine didn't put that in there. Long before Constantine was ever thought about, the church had accepted the canon. Now listen, there's a lot of lies out here in the culture. Do your research. This stuff was there. And um, archaeology, they're constantly, we did a study just recently And uh, we're looking at 20th century discoveries, but also discoveries from the last four or five years. And there have been major discoveries that continue to point to the truth of Christianity. Well, what about this? Changed lives. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody will ever convince me that Jesus isn't risen because he's changed my life. He has changed me in ways that I can't explain. I don't have adequate words for. But my life is on a completely different course because of a man named Jesus Christ. He is alive. He is working. He is moving. He's affected history. We don't have time to get into all the specifics. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's a reason Western civilization is as blessed as it is. In our day, and it's because of Christianity first through the Apostle Paul as he evangelized Europe and established churches all across Europe, uh, and also later on through Martin Luther as he taxes his 95 Theses uh, on the wall at Wittenberg, and, and the Reformation takes place, and the gospel comes to regular, ordinary, everyday people, and the scripture is written in their own language, and the world is revolutionized. And you and I live in an America that was founded on those very biblical principles. There's a reason the Ten Commandments were hanging in the courthouse in our country up until a few years ago. The blessings we have in this country are in result of the Christian heritage, the Judeo-Christian heritage we have as a nation. There is evidence in every facet of life. There have been more books by far written about Jesus Christ than any other figure in human history. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's evidence. If you're willing to look at it, there's evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, so, moving from skepticism to faith, how do you do it? You need to doubt your doubts. You need to examine the evidence. You need to hear God's predictions. 
Here are God's predictions. Verse uh, 44, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, I predicted that I was going to die and that I was going to rise a number of times. You know it. I mean, they heard him say it. This is exactly what's happened. And that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was predicted by the Old Testament. You say, well, how was that predicted? Well, you can look <clears throat> at types and pictures for one. Uh, the Old Testament, the, the type was a picture or an example. Uh, didn't necessarily correspond in every respect, but it corresponded in, a, in the most important things. Um, take the life of Joseph. He was rejected by his people. By the way, who was the ringleader behind this rejection? A man named Judah, his brother. By the way, the Greek version of Judah is Judas. Rejected by Judas. Considered to be dead. Right? He wasn't actually dead, but he was considered to be dead. If you look, as Joseph's brothers come to Egypt... They say, and we have one brother, and he is not, which was a kind of a euphemism to say he's dead. But guess what? He was raised up and exalted to the right-hand man of Egypt. Sound familiar? This is, this is a picture. Uh, the story of Joseph covers a huge amount of the book of Genesis um, or take the sacrificial system. We don't have time to get into all the specifics of it, but all of the different sacrifices represented a different aspect of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. It was predicted in the law. Well, what about the prophets? Look at the book of Isaiah in, in chapter 52, uh, verse 13 to 52, 12. It starts off to speak of this man called the servant, who was raised, lifted up, and highly exalted. Sounds familiar to me. Just as he suffered. This individual who was so disfigured, he didn't even look like a man. That's what happened when you were scourged with a cat of nine tails whipped by the Romans. Jesus was marred. He was disfigured. But he says, kings will bow before him. You see, before you get to Isaiah 53 that talks about his suffering, he, talk, he says, listen, I want you to have this suffering in context. Because the suffering is not the end. He will be raised. He will be lifted up. He will be highly exalted. But if you look at the end of Isaiah 53, it says, after his suffering, he will see. How do you see if you're dead? And it begins to speak of the things that the suffering servant will do. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The prophets predicted Jesus' resurrection. Or flip over to the Psalms, which is the other section of the Hebrew Bible, um, uh, where the writings and the Psalms often were, were spoken of in, to mean that whole section. Look at the Psalms, Psalm 22, that describes in detail Many of the specific events that happened as Jesus was crucified. 
But then somehow, he is doing activity after he's dead. If you continue to read to the end, he says, I will tell the good news among my brothers. I didn't know this, but uh, I read this in a book this week. Um, The first time Jesus calls the disciples brothers was after his resurrection in fulfillment of Psalm 22. Listen, I want to tell you something. The Bible predicted Jesus' death and resurrection. Predicted it. Uh, And by the way, some have said that uh, Isaiah 53 is not talking about Jesus. It's talking about Israel. How can Israel die to save Israel? Does that make any sense? Listen, even the old rabbis said, that uh, many of the old rabbis believed that this was an individual, not a nation. The old Hebrew rabbis before the time of Christ. This is about the Messiah. Uh, Hosea says, uh, on on the second day, we will be revived. And on the third day, he will lift us up. Did you you know there's a theme called the third day in Scripture in the Old Testament? where special things happen on the third day. By the way, in creation, the third day was the day when life sprang from the ground for the first time. Picture. Listen, there are themes throughout Scripture, and the fact that Jonah was thrown into the lines, and you know what they did when they threw Jonah in the, or I mean Jonah, Daniel, I'm getting two of them mixed up, Daniel in the lines then, they rolled a stone over the top. And they left him for dead. But in the morning, the king, who was Daniel's friend, comes out and says, Oh, Daniel, has your God preserved you? And he says, Yes. Uh, He says, My king, God has shut the mouths of the lions. And they roll the stone away, and he comes out alive. Does that sound familiar? Or what about Jonah, who goes down into the belly of the fish? Listen, if my God can create all all of the universe, keeping Jonah alive three days in a fish is no big potatoes for him. Uh, God preserves Jonah in the fish, and on the third day, the fish vomits Jonah on dry land, and he goes to Nineveh to preach the gospel to the people there. You see, all through the Old Testament, there is an anticipation of this individual who will come. In Genesis 3.15, The scripture tells Eve, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Satan would be defeated. You know where it happened? At the cross and at the resurrection. Satan's a defeated foe. D-Day has come. (laughs) The battle is over. And one day Jesus is going to come back to do the mopping up. (laughs) Listen. It's anticipated in the Old Testament. Here are the predictions. I encourage you, if you are a skeptic, read Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12. And see, uh, I, I heard a, a testimony of a Jew who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he said that one of his friends read him Isaiah 53, and he, says, he, he asked him what it was. He said, oh, that comes out of the New Testament. It's about Jesus. He said, no, that comes out of Isaiah. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. It's powerful. 
It's powerful. Look at the predictions. Josh McDowell, uh, he, he uh, quotes this, this uh, fellow that did the statistical research about just eight prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He said just by natural means, without the supernatural hand of God, he said the, the chances of those happening by accident were one in ten to the 17th power. He says you could cover silver dollars all over the state of Texas two feet deep and mark one of them and throw it out of a helicopter somewhere over Texas, uh, mix it all up together and blindfold somebody and send them into the state. And the chances of them picking up that coin the first time are the chances of those eight prophecies being fulfilled in a historical individual named Jesus Christ. But they were fulfilled. They were fulfilled. Now listen, that's, that's powerful, powerful evidence. Um, <clears throat> so, moving from skepticism to faith, how do you do it? Doubt your doubts. Examine the evidence. Hear God's predictions and receive your blessings. Why does God give evidence? Because He loves us. God gives us evidence that Jesus has risen from the dead because He wants to bless us. Somebody once said grace is an acrostic for God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid the price at the cross, and you and I can receive the blessings. What did Jesus do? The last thing Jesus did before he ascended to heaven was to raise his hands and to bless the people because uh, he wanted to bless them. That's still his heart today. Listen, you may be skeptical about the things of Christianity, but can I tell you something? Jesus loves you. Despite your skepticism, despite uh, sometimes, uh, I think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, talk about evidence of a change. Uh, he was persecuting the church, and God changed him. God warned him when he appeared to him on the Damascus Road. He said, he said Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. But he saved his soul, and he made him into the greatest missionary of that era, perhaps of all time. <laughs> and uh, it was all by God's grace. Listen, God has a heart of grace toward you. He loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your past is. Um, the, the rich man uh, who came to Jesus, he's a rich young ruler, um, spoke with Jesus about the things of God, and, and, he, and he, but he loved money more than he did the Lord. He, he wanted to, to follow after his money, and so he left Jesus, and the Bible let him, says he let him go. Jesus loved him, but he let him go. Jesus will not force you into the kingdom, but you have to trample over the blood of Jesus to go to hell. Consider Mary Magdalene. Surely somebody who was a prostitute would not be considered for salvation by Jesus Christ. But that is exactly what Jesus did. <laughs> Praise God, the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. <laughs> she put her trust in Jesus, and not only did Jesus change her life, but she got the privilege of being the first person to see Jesus alive. <laughs> now, we didn't read about that here. That's in the book of John. You can read about that. But what an amazing thing. Uh, listen, I want to tell you something. God wants to bless you, but you've got to make the choice to be blessed. And Jesus has paid the price for you at Calvary. 
And then God put the stamp of his approval on Jesus and, and what he has said and what he did by raising him up from the dead. Will you consider it? Will you receive the blessing that Jesus has for you? If you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says, whosoever will may come. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or short or tall or, or fat or skinny. It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. <laughs> and he'll give you the riches of heaven. He'll make you God's child. He'll forgive you of every sin. He'll give you a clean slate. And he'll give you the privilege of fellowship with him, which is the greatest privilege on this earth. But you have to make a choice to turn from your sin in your own way, to follow Christ. That's a choice you make, a choice of faith. I am going to stop going my way, and I'm going to start going Christ's way. It's a choice. And you've got to receive that forgiveness that Jesus has offered as a gift. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. Death, hell is what we earn. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the amazing gift of eternal life that you've given to those who trust you. Thank you for Jesus and the price he paid at the cross. Thank you for his mighty resurrection. Father, I, I praise you for your power that was displayed at Calvary as you made a way for sinners who don't deserve your presence and don't deserve to stand before you to be forgiven and changed and healed and made your children.